This is an Algoa FM news exclusive. In today's episode, I've got a very special guest in the studio and uh, we will be talking about narcissism. And uh, it's a term that's so loosely thrown around. The first time we heard that term in a courtroom was with the Oscar Pistorius trial. And you can just go Google all these different killers, Oscar Pistorius, Jason Ruder. He killed his wife and made it look like a suicide and nearly got away with it. Rob Packham, the same. He killed his wife, uh, dumped her uh, body in the boot of his car and set the vehicle alight. And all of these men still uh, maintain their innocence. We have Christopher Paniotu as well, uh, a big case that made headlines in Kobecha. You don't like a person, you just call them a narcissist. And I just think that term is very loosely thrown around. And uh, that's why I invited Dr. Dave Swart to my podcast this morning. Dave, I know you said I can just call you Dave. So Dave, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Doreen, for having me. I just want to be very clear that this podcast is not going to be a character assassination of murder accused Arnold de Blanche. That is not not what I want to do. But the state, obviously, they will be using these inflammatory words. The state has labeled Arnold de Blanche as a narcissist who orchestrated the plan to execute his wife. They also used words like domineering, uh, dictatorial, someone who operates within a pattern in a relationship. When I asked people about Arnold, I was told he's a difficult person, he's unpleasant, he's passive aggressive, he's rude, and he's a narcissist. But Let's just break it down. What is a narcissist? Doreen, it's it's important that we do understand it um, based on what we know from evidence. Just looking at, at it in terms of the diagnostic criteria that we've, we see in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, it's not enough because just referring to how you I- introduced this podcast, you know, immediately we refer to the other names that that are known in the media in, in similar court cases. And so so as soon as you start using the word narcissist, immediately it triggers these almost polarized ideas um, of what narcissism is, you know, almost framing it as, as severe pathology. But we have to understand that it's a personality trait as well. It's, it's is it a trait or a disorder? Well, we need to we need to discern between the two because you do have narcissist personality disorder, and that can only be diagnosed by a mental health professional. And we base that diagnosis on on the the diagnostic criteria set out in the DSM five. Then we also have um, narcissistic traits, uh, which we can see on on a scale, and and to be honest with you. We all find ourselves on that scale some way or another. You know, we could argue that selfishness, for example, is a trait that we look out for when we look at narcissism, especially within relationships. Um, but don't we all have at least some selfish tendencies? And if anything, maybe to a certain extent that's also adaptive, you know, being selfish, being able to look after your own well-being and, and take care of your own needs is important. So so not all these narcissistic traits, traits are necessarily seen as, as pathological. The narcissistic personality disorder, that's when we cluster together uh, a number of criteria that we know lead to 
um, dysfunction on various levels of a person's functioning. So we we would then need to see that that there's impairment in in their relationships. You will see it. There, there will be a pervasive pattern of of impairments in in their ability to engage with individuals in a, in a, in a healthy way. Um, so if a person, for example, presents with certain traits in the workplace, um, but at home in their role as a father or a husband or a wife, they are well adapted. Then we could argue that the, these tendencies that you observe in the workplace is a response to the environment and, and perhaps the, the role that they need to fulfill. So we have to be cautious to slap a, a, a label on someone as saying this person is a narcissist. I think it's much safer to say that someone displays certain narcissistic traits unless the diagnosis has actually been made by by a clinician. Let's bring money into this. If we look at um, Ter Blanche, Panayotu, Packham, Ruder, Oscar, there was a lot of money involved. These men had money. They had power. How much of this is an important part of becoming a narcissist or displaying those tendencies? Because you're not born a narcissist, are you? You become one from your environment. That's correct. We typically look at at, at um, childhood abuse, trauma, neglect. Those are environmental factors. Um, you are not born with a narcissistic gene. There are some neurobiological um, indicators that through research has been linked with narcissistic personality disorder, but it's not conclusive. So, so it's a number of factors that contribute to the eventual presentation of a narcissistic personality disorder. Now, in terms of money, we can't say that having money puts you at risk of, of developing or having a narcissistic personality disorder. But there's definitely this, this power dynamic that someone with a narcissistic personality disorder present with and and not just in terms of how they manage finances or flaunt their wealth, very often superficial wealth, but also in terms of um, their own sexuality um, in, in, in the context of a romantic relationship. Sex is, for example, used as a way to exert their dominance. So we could say that with money, it's the same thing. They 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 need to maintain that sense of control over how how money is spent, and and how their wealth is portrayed to the world. To to a person that that present with very strong narcissistic traits, very often. Uh, people's perception of them is extremely important. So they would use superficial signs of their own wealth, signs of their own success. And very, very often even um, spending money on on others, which, which would come across as extremely charming. Uh, But there's always, there's always an agenda. Um, it is used in a for, as a form of manipulation. And, and we have to understand that underneath that there's, there's a very vulnerable sense of self and a very vulnerable sense of the self-esteem. That's why they need to bulk their own sense of self up by flaunting their money, by maintaining that that, mm. that, that, um, that control power, power dynamic yes. in a relationship, in an intimate relationship, but in relationship with others by, for example, portraying themselves as, as more well-off. Now, Dave, you, you have worked with severe personality pathologies in the maximum security se- setting in prison. I specifically want to ask you, let's look at someone like Arnold Soblange and the situation he's in right now. He's been in custody for a year. He's still trying to get bail. He's lost 20 kilograms. Um, 
what impact does this change of his environment have on his his psyche? Like you've worked with prisoners, like give me an insight into in, into what the mental state could be of someone in his situation right now. A person with a, a narcissistic personality disorder or any personality disorder for that matter, they do also present with comorbidities. For example, major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, that that has a, a tremendous impact on, on how their narcissistic traits manifest in different settings. So a narcissist typically, if confronted or if cornered, they tend to play this victim role. I have been done in. This is unfair. They, they, they like to point out other people's inconsistencies. You know, already for someone that is incarcerated, I would expect that they would lean towards that narrative about what their lived experience is being. And and it also opens them up for the possibility of developing something like a, a depressive disorder. And, and that is not necessarily in all cases a form of manipulation. So I can understand why someone in, in his situation, having internalized this this victim mentality, if it is the case that that's what he's experiencing, would develop a, a clinical depression as a result. Extreme anxiety as to how his case is being portrayed in the media, even his in individual um, relationships that he develops within the correctional setting with other inmates or authority figures in um, in, in the correction centre. Um, but what kind of mental support do they have? I mean, you've worked with incarcerated people, but he's still trial awaiting. How difficult is it for someone to reach out and say, I need help? And what kind of help is available for prisoners? Yes, the unfortunate reality. In South Africa, our corrections model is a, is a third world model. So unfortunately, especially for trial awaiting prisoners, um, there are virtually no support. In uh, correctional facilities where there are psychologists, and, uh, and I'm sure in, in most, if not all, correctional facilities, there should be a psychologist on staff. Um, th- they normally assist with uh, preparing inmates for, for their parole hearing. Inmates need to go through a, an offence-specific program that's either facilitated by a social worker or, or a psychologist. Dealing with something like a depression and, and treating a depression in, in that situation is, is ext- ex- extremely difficult. Um, how do you prioritize whose depression is more urgent? So what we normally see is that an inmate only receive very superficial support only once they've reached that threshold of either self-harm um, or have to lose the, a significant amount of weight be- before they are noticed. An inmate can't just write a note saying that, can I please be seen by a doctor or psychologist mm. to assist me in dealing with this? So you can't pay your psychologist to come and see you in, in prison. Um, it is a, it's a very volatile situation. And unfortunately, especially for trial-awaiting um, individuals, um, this becomes very compounded. So what you see then in the court is 
the presentation, the, the clinical presentation of an individual that has internalized a, a lot of frustration, um, a lot of anxiety, and then you know if, if if you look how that is moderated by any underlying personality disorder, that's why often it's so easy in the court to to label an individual as as having a personality disorder, and even reflecting on their behaviour in court as evidence of that. I just wanted, and in closing, um, what are the warning signs for for someone listening today and and maybe thinking, look, I'm in this relationship and I think I need to get out of this? Well, there's definitely warning signs that we need to be on the lookout for. That power dynamic in the relationship with the narcissist um, is is very fragile um, and can be very volatile. And because the narcissist um, is so concerned with society's perception of him or her, they do try and contain that volatility behind closed doors. So the pain that they inflict on their partner, they want to hide from the world. So you often see that the narcissistic partner exert this dominance over their romantic partner by isolating them from from those around them. And very often they would even themselves assume the victim role by portraying their partner as the one with the pathology. That's where gaslighting comes in. Gaslighting for narcissists as a, a a very well-developed ability that they have to make their partner truly question their own experience of the world, their own thoughts. An individual in a relationship with someone with narcissism very often end up internalizing the narcissist's reality, which is that there's something wrong with me. I am not loyal enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not considering considering enough, and I'm selfish. If I have any need to express my expectations of my partner, the warning signs to be on the lookout for in a relationship is is a lack of space for mutual expression of needs. The way in which uh, a narcissistic partner portrays their intimate partner to others is also typically a warning sign. A narcissist uh, would find it difficult to boast about their partner without making it about themselves. Now, you do couple therapy as well, and I just want to make this point that it's not only men who are narcissists, right? Women can be narcissists too. Something like narcissistic personality, which historically has been associated with authoritative dominant men. The truth is that women can also present with narcissistic traits. They can also present with narcissistic personality disorder. There are ample case examples of of women that have been incarcerated for crimes who present with narcissistic personality disorder. Society having very specific ideas of what is expected of a male or a female partner or the more dominant and more submissive partner in a relationship. Obviously, we do expect to see women with narcissistic traits to present themselves differently in a relationship um, than men. And I, I do find that women are more often portrayed as victims. It's almost more acceptable for society to identify a female in a relationship as the victim where the reality is that very often the male partner 
in, in heterosexual relationships find themselves on the receiving end. Dave, do you have a website if anybody's listening and they want to get in contact with you? I do have a website, www.swartpsychologists.com or they can email me at dave at swartpsychologists.com. That, that was an Algoa FM News Exclusive.